With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. It's Lars. Thank you for checking out my podcast and have a great day. Are you approaching retirement or maybe you've just changed jobs? If so, you'll probably now have control of your 401k or IRA. Would you like to buy some property, notes, loans, start a new business, or even buy crypto? You can with a self-directed IRA. For more than a decade, I've been telling you about setting up a self-directed IRA through IRA Advantage. And while you may now hear other companies say they offer self-directed IRAs, you need to find out if they're truly self-directed. With a truly self-directed retirement account, You can make any investment the law allows. Whether you're talking about true diversification, starting your new business, or investing in private holdings, IRA Advantage through a truly self-directed IRA can make that happen. Take it from me, Lars. You've worked hard for your money. IRA Advantage will work hard to keep it yours. Would you like to learn more about truly self-directed IRAs? Then visit iraadvantage.com. View our videos and call IRA Advantage. That's iraadvantage.com. If Democrats join up to elect a moderate Republican, I will resign. That is Matt Gates, member of Congress from the great state of Florida, and he's talking about the vote on the Speaker of the House. And yes, it is the Radio Northwest Network. We've got a lot of Northwest issues to talk about, but I want to keep you up to date on what's going on on Capitol Hill at this moment. They have just finished the 13th ballot in voting for the Speaker of the House. And as one of my emailers pointed out, Why is everybody all that excited? Uh, Civilian elections, non-congressional elections, the kind of elections that people care about, you know, not on Capitol Hill, they typically take weeks, sometimes even months now. What's the big uh, fuss that this is taking all week? Uh, But I will tell you this. It does now appear that Kevin McCarthy, who's fallen a couple of votes short of the speaker, probably will make it on the 14th ballot, which is due to start any time. Anyway, welcome to the Radio Northwest Network and my favorite day of the week, First Amendment Friday. And why is it my favorite day? Because for all the years this show has been on the air, this is the day we open up the phone lines and every subject is fair game. So nobody can fairly say, well, I didn't get a chance to get my say said. All you got to do is dial the number 866-HEY-LARS. And if you're a naysayer, we put you right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. You can send emails to me, talk at LarsLarson.com. I try to answer every one of them. And we've got a Twitter poll question. I'll give that to you in just a moment. But there's something I want to talk about. We've talked a lot on this show about the fact that law enforcement has gone down the drain all across America, but especially in Oregon and Washington. And one of the biggest problems is that drugs, hard drugs, things like fentanyl, 
cocaine, methamphetamine, uh, heroin, they have all been de facto legalized. In other words, the penalty for possession of fairly large amounts of all of those hard drugs is so small, it is negligible. And all you have to do to get out of the, say, $25 fine for possession of those hard drugs is just call a phone number and say, hey, uh, I want to talk to a treatment person. I'm really not interested in coming in and getting off my addiction. You do that. You don't even have to pay a fine. That's what I mean by de facto legalization. And a lot of you have said, and it's a reasonable comment about the show, Lars, you talk about these problems. How about some solutions? Well, I try to suggest solutions whenever they seem available. And many of the solutions are solutions that I think are reasonable, but the politicians do not. But guess what's happened in one state here in the Pacific Northwest? It's Marysville, Washington. Not the biggest city, but you could see this kind of thing happening in some bigger cities if the cities chose to do what Marysville is doing. Marysville saw that they had a gigantic problem with people using hard drugs, and especially when they use them in public. I'm not saying that you're any better off if you're shooting heroin in the privacy of your home or if you're snorting cocaine outside of the sight of the public. But when Marysville saw this, they saw the biggest problem for their city was public drug use. And of course, if you go to Seattle or Portland, all you have to do is drive around for about five minutes in most parts of the downtown areas of those cities to see people who are absolutely off their nut. Now, they may be mentally ill already, but drugs on top of that makes it an even worse problem. And you could see Portland and Seattle doing this if they chose to. And if they choose not to, you as citizens should go to your elected leaders and say, why don't you do what Marysville is doing? So let me tell you what Como News reported that Marysville, this little town uh, north of Portland, you know, quite a ways south of the Puget Sound area, tougher laws on public drug use and disruptions aboard transit buses are now in place in Marysville. Yeah, the town said, we've had it up to here with this kind of nonsense. So what can we do about it? Olympia won't act because in Olympia, they saw a Supreme Court decision from the Washington Supreme Court saying, we're going to wipe out your hard drug laws. And a lot of lawmakers, most of them Democrats, said, that's good. We don't want hard drugs to be illegal. We want people to take their lives down a toilet. And in Oregon, it was even worse. Measure 110 was passed by a majority of voters who said, why don't we offer them treatment instead? Let me tell you how that works out. When you offer people treatment, but you don't have the or else of saying, if you don't take treatment, you're going to get a felony record and you may go to jail. You may go to prison. You will see some consequences. Guess what? Nobody signs up for treatment. Last year, not sorry, not last year, 2021, there were 16,000 people in Oregon who were cited for possession of hard drugs. Do you know how many actually agreed to accept treatment? That was the plan. We'll just tell them, you want to get off these drugs, don't you? Of the 16,000, as near as we can tell, zero signed up for treatment. So here's what Marysville has done. They passed a city ordinance that allows police to make arrests for first offenses of people using drugs in public. Like I said, the private use of drugs at parties or in homes or some other place out of public view is still, still a problem and you're still gonna get people dying from overdoses. But if you take care of the public use problem, you've taken care of part, the part of the problem that is the most obnoxious for the public. Violation of the new law is a misdemeanor subject to arrest. The city council passed the ordinance in December of last year. Now, that's one way to address the problem. And I don't see any downside to it. 
If you tell your police if you see people using it in public, Portland and Seattle, it's not hard at all to find people shooting up in public, shooting up on transit buses. And of course, then when they're high, they become a real threat to the life and safety of the people in public. If they do it in private, yeah, they can still end up dead. But I guess that's an individual choice to take those kind of hard drugs. I would love to see this kind of a, uh, approach tried in a middle-sized city, say a Eugene or maybe a Spokane, and then put it to the big cities. If you're not willing to do what you could do to control this, you can't just shuck it off on Olympia and Salem and the state lawmakers forever. When they won't act, and so far they have chosen not to act, then if the city leadership decides not to act, then you should hold them accountable for that. Anyway, glad to be with you. Uh, glad to take your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. Our Twitter poll question, and this one has to do with Washington State, should a Northwest state representative keep his seat in the legislature after serial lying about his life and his service? During his campaign, newly elected state rep Clyde Shavers claimed to have served as a U.S. Navy submarine officer despite failing to even complete officer training and even exhibited a disdain of enlisted service members and a revulsion to even wear the uniform. Now, the mainstream media, as Shift Waugh points out, they said, we're not going to do anything with that story. Why would we? He's just lying about who he is. He's a Democrat. What do you expect? Thousands of voters never realized about Shaver's lives as lies as they cast their ballots. So here's what Shift Waugh has done. And we've put up links both on social media and on my website at LarsLarson.com that will allow you to sign a petition saying this guy should be removed from the state legislature. Glad to be with you. Our Twitter poll can be found at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com. Brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at UltimateTruckService.com. And next week, a couple of big events. Donald Trump will be on this talk show, and his son, Don Trump Jr., will join me later on next week. I hope you get a chance to tune in for that. It is First Amendment Friday. It's the Radio Northwest Network. The Northwest nonsense is coming up next, and then I'll get to your phone calls and emails. And then they go for vote number 14 on Capitol Hill, and maybe Kevin McCarthy can close the deal. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. That makes a lot of sense, a lot of nonsense. Right, you're bloody well right. You know he got a right to say. This is the Northwest Nonsense. How much longer do we have to sit for this nonsense? That great moment every day where Lars brings you the cold, hard facts without any liberal wokeness from the daily dead, fish wrapper, or mainstream media bias. There is a double standard on display today, and it concerns an accused killer and the election two years ago. You see, a documentary released last year proved that hundreds of thousands of American votes were illegally dropped in ballot boxes in the dead of night. The proof was cell phone pings from the so-called 2000 mules used by left-wing activist groups funded by the likes of George Soros to gimmick that presidential election. Yet the powers that be, including much of the media, declared that such cell ping evidence was not at all accurate enough to prove election fraud. Fast forward to yesterday, when the man accused of slaughtering four Idaho college students appeared in a Moscow courtroom on capital murder charges that could land him on Idaho's death row. 
Some of the best evidence against Brian Koberger is pings from his cell phone that show that he was stalking his victims and that his presence at the crime scene in the early morning hours of November 13th also identified by cell phone pings. Kind of hard to dispute that. Yet the same authorities who decided that cell phone pings prove absolutely nothing about election fraud are happily reporting on the cellular proof of an accused killer. Go figure. Now, about today's vote on the House Speaker question, which I think may be resolved in this next vote, number 14, Here's what Arlen Perry wrote in. Lars, I don't know why everybody's so upset about the vote for Speaker of the House. Elections are never decided the same day anymore. This could go on for several weeks. The mail-in ballots haven't even been counted yet. The Republicans are finally doing the elections the right way. And our question of the day, and let me throw this out for you. A lot of you have emailed to me about something called the Brunson case. Now, the Brunson case takes a little explanation. There are four brothers from Utah. One's apparently a trombone player. I don't know why that matters, but it's thrown into a lot of the stories. And what they did was they went to court some time ago and they said, we believe there was foreign election interference in the 2020 election. And they went to the lower federal courts and they said, we'd like to have you throw out the results of the election. And then we'd like to have the Supreme Court or the courts remove every single member of the United States Congress and the president and the vice president and a number of other people. Now, they filed the case. It got thrown out by all of the dismissed by all of the lower courts. And they kept on appealing and appealing and appealing. And finally, they appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court. Well, their writ of certiorari, that's the fancy technical lawyer name for the appeal to the Supreme Court, their writ of certiorari is being considered today by the U.S. Supreme Court. And there's been a regular email campaign of people saying to me, Lars, uh, for instance, this gentleman wrote to me and said, I haven't heard you say anything about this on the air. I have. He says, but it may turn into something huge. And I think you'll want to have some idea of what it's all about. I'm well familiar with the Brunson case. This thing is a fraud. Let me just be plain to you. It's a fraud. The case was dismissed by the lower courts. And yes, they filed an appeal, a writ of certiorari with the U.S. Supreme Court. The Supreme Court gets literally thousands of these requests to hear cases. They end up hearing less than a couple of hundred cases every year. There is almost zero chance that the U.S. Supreme Court will consider it. But you say, but Lars, what about that almost zero chance? Okay, let's say that the Brunson case, and I know a lot of you have heard of this, is actually the Supreme Court has four members say, let's hear this case. Okay, they hear the case. Let's say they decided that the 2020 election was the subject of foreign interference. Okay, and let's say the Brunsons win their case before the U.S. Supreme Court. Say all of that is true. Do you know how much authority the U.S. Supreme Court has to remove any elected official from office? The answer is zero. They have no authority to do it. And it's a good thing that the founders wrote the Constitution to say the Congress can remove elected officials. The Congress can even remove a president or a vice president. The Congress can remove any other civil official of the federal government. The courts cannot. And the Supreme Court cannot. So even if the folks who love this Brunson case, even if it were to be heard by the Supreme Court, even if the Supreme Court decided they were right, the Supreme Court has zero authority to remove anybody from elected office. Now, you don't have to like that uh, or dislike that. I'm just telling you what the rules are. The, and if the Supreme Court had the authority to remove any president it didn't like, you know who'd be running the United States? Not the president, not your representatives on Capitol Hill. The entire country would be run by nine 
unelected officials who are virtually impossible to remove from office, and that would be a bad thing. And now today's Daily Grill. Insane. Are you completely insane? Ridiculous. They get more and more ridiculous. Flat out dumb. You're even dumber than I thought. Who deserves today's Lars Grill of the Day? Maybe they're just really, really stupid. Presented by Rogue Conveyors. Go Rogue. Back in Russia in the 1800s, there was something called the Potemkin Village, and I can tell you a bit about it. But uh, Potemkin villages are used, and the term is still used all the time. What it means is putting up a fraudulent appearance. It means erecting a tiny town so that when top officials come by, they'll say, look at that pretty little town, except the town is a fake. Well, guess what? They're doing a Potemkin village in El Paso, Texas today for Joe Biden, who plans to, for the first time in his life, visit the border with Mexico. He's going to El Paso, Texas. And the mayor of El Paso, who's a Democrat, has said that they have hundreds and hundreds of illegal aliens who are all sleeping on the streets and tents all over the place. But guess what? According to Washington Examiner, city sidewalks that were transformed into makeshift homeless camps from the tens of thousands of illegal aliens released into downtown El Paso in recent months, they have been cleared out ahead of President Joe Biden's arrival on Sunday. They're setting up a Potemkin village for dear old Joe. Open borders, Joe, as we like to call him. On this First Amendment Friday, you can always email me, talk at LarsLarson.com. Brought to you by the MEI Group, one of the largest heavy civil construction companies in the Northwest. Currently hiring and paying top dollar for project managers, engineers, and estimators. The MEIGroup.com. Andrew writes in, Lars, once again, Trump is right. The more conservative Republicans in Congress have extracted several important concessions that will benefit the country. It's time to take the win. He's talking about the vote on the speaker and regain the respect of the country by actually legislating in a meaningful way. An announcement today with all the Republicans in attendance would be wonderful. Signed, Andrew Peller. Send those emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And let me start with, uh, let's start with Terry. Hey, Terry, welcome to First Amendment Friday. What's on your mind? Let me take you out, Speaker, sir. Very good. We always yeah, appreciate that. I'd like that. to discuss Anchorage and Portland. Okay. Okay, Anchorage up here is real, has a real similar problem to Portland with the homeless, uh, city government not being responsive. And one of the questions I have to you is, do you know anything about Sightline Institute? It's based out of Portland. I don't. What is it? Okay, it is a... Uh, you're going to have to make your point research. quickly or we're going to run out of time. So if you spend a lot of time on the background, you're not going to get to your point. So get to it, please. Got it, sir. Okay, yeah, they're a research organization that uh, does public policy in the Pacific Northwest. Uh-huh. And right now, I'll tell you, they're running, they're running Anchorage by a playbook, Anchorage, Alaska. And they yep. are in Portland also. It's something I'd like you to research because they're a foreign... Okay, Terry, I wanted you to make a point... I'll be glad to research anything you want, but I kind of hope that my audience would hear the point you were trying to make. If it's a private NGO that's pushing public policy, I understand that. But ultimately, the elected officials are the one whose feet we hold to the fire. You got the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's First Amendment Friday. Your calls are welcome at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Vote in our Twitter poll, should a Northwest state rep, in this case Clyde Shavers, 
keep his seat in the legislature after serial lying about his life and his military service, I would say no to that. You can vote any way you like. And if you'd like, you can sign the petition put up by Shiftwa. We've got the links up on social media and at my website at LarsLarson.com. Now, the state of Idaho did something really different here in the Pacific Northwest, different from Oregon and Washington. In Oregon and Washington, you can have abortions performed, oftentimes at public expense, all the way up to the last second before that baby is born. But Idaho went a different direction. Uh, They chose life, and they passed what's called the trigger law. It was supposed to go into effect, as I recall, last August, but then it faced a bunch of court challenges, as you might expect that it would do. But now we've got some good news for you, and David Ripley joins me now, who's with the group Idaho Chooses Life. David, thanks so much for joining me, and thanks for reaching out to me yesterday. This is great news from your Supreme Court. Would you mind telling my audience what happened? Large, it's an honor to be on your show, and uh, I appreciate the time. Uh, our Supreme Court issued a final ruling yesterday uh, upholding our trigger law, which bans abortions from conception uh, through the end of a pregnancy, except in cases of life uh, where the life of the mother is at risk or in cases of rape and incest. And it's an extraordinary landmark decision by the Supreme Court of Idaho. I believe it's the first ruling that they've ever issued on how the Idaho Constitution treats the so-called right to an abortion. And it's about 105 pages, the majority opinion, and it is a thorough rebuke of the notion that somehow, somewhere in the Idaho Constitution, the framers intended to protect the killing of babies. In fact, quite to the contrary, from the time that Idaho was a territory under Abraham Lincoln, uh, in the first territorial laws in the state, uh, abortion was treated as a crime. So basically what has happened is that the Supreme Court reaffirmed that history and the original text of the Idaho Constitution. And in the state of Idaho, uh, the abortionists are out of business. And so this was, and by the way, it wasn't a unanimous decision, was it? No, it was three to two. Uh, We did learn some about two of the members of our court, which we'll have to deal with at some point uh, in the future. Will they have to run for real, David? Don't don't they have to run for re-election, David, at some point? Yes, they do. Uh, We have the ability to elect or re-elect justices of our Supreme Court which is a precious right in Idaho. Yeah, it is. Sadly, the right gets abused in Oregon and Washington. I don't know how it works in Idaho uh, as well, but in Oregon and Washington, almost all the members of the court, while they're theoretically elected, they're actually usually appointed to their positions because they have this scam worked out where members of the court and at the circuit court level, they resign in the middle of their term to allow Democrat governors to reappoint somebody to, to put in their place. And then the person sitting in an incumbent position runs for reelection, which is usually a snap. You know, it's, it's easy for them to run for reelection right. because nobody wants to run against a sitting judge because they're likely to lose. But in Idaho, do you actually... Do you actually get the chance to ju- to decide who's on the Supreme Court, or is it usually a matter of appointment? Well, some of that scam has happened in Idaho in the last ten, twelve years. We've had uh, we've had some abuse of that of that process, as you described. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that 
Um, I, I feel like we've been blessed with a very strong legislature, governor, and now Supreme Court. And um, the fact is uh, the trigger law went into effect. The Supreme Court allowed it to go into effect on August 25th. And we've confirmed, yeah, and we've confirmed numbers through uh, the end of November that uh, there have been zero abortions reported to the state in the in the in the period from August 25th through the end of November. And our estimate is that normally we've we've been killing about 2,000 babies a year, give or take, in the state of Idaho. That means that. Somewhere in the neighborhood of 500 babies have been spared from abortion uh, through uh, the end of November of last year. And the good news for, for Idaho and for America is that we now have a chance to prove to the country that choosing life is better than choosing death. And the challenge we have now as a state is to find support for those mothers, to find homes for those babies that may not be wanted, and to build upon, you know, this success, which is just a beginning. Well, David, I got to tell you, if the FBI could stop with its political shenanigans that it's been so involved in and actually go out and find the folks who are firebombing the pregnancy resource centers and the Christian churches that stand up for life, we might be able to. And because those pregnancy resource centers are always there for a young lady who says, I can't afford the baby. I don't have a partner. I don't have a husband. I don't have a boyfriend. Uh, they'll, they'll help. And they'll make it possible to have that baby brought to term and then put up for adoption. And in many cases, they, they offer the young lady, you know, financial support and, and everything else she needs. So those resources are there as long as the FBI would get about its job and, and actually find the people who are trying to bomb these things out of existence. They don't seem as interested in that as they do in the other political things. But bravo to, to Idaho. And it's funny, David, I have to fault my own business, the media business. Because usually when there's something that's the biggest or the smallest or the longest or the shortest in America, it becomes big news. At this point, is it fair to say that Idaho now has the strongest pro-life law in America? I believe that's the case, yes. I mean, is there any Uh, other state that even comes close? Mississippi doesn't, even after the Dobbs decision. Right. The fact is many states have... uh, we are alone in the West, right? The only state that's even in our neighborhood now is South Dakota, the west of the Mississippi. Uh, and you have many state courts that are starting to fool around with attempts by the legislature to protect babies. Um, but the fact is what really, what really is important for people to know is that Idaho's law protects life from conception because there's no other logical point at which life needs to be protected, right? I mean, it's, it, we all began life just like that baby in the womb. And, yep. and I'm proud to say that Idaho is in the forefront, which is part of why, by the way, the Biden administration has paid so much attention to Idaho. Um, we had uh, that, a federal lawsuit here that Biden filed. Uh, because, of course, he's all in on trying to protect abortion rights and is uh, is literally an opponent to your point about pregnancy centers who are doing nothing more than offering love and hope to women and girls in trouble. Yep. 
And, and all I'm saying is the mainstream media usually trumpets, this is the first this or the first that. You know, if they say this is the first black woman who's ever held a position on the Supreme Court, Katenji Brown Jackson on the U.S. Supreme Court, they, they trumpet those stories. Here you have the strongest pro-life law in America that has just been upheld by the state con- by the state Supreme Court in Idaho. This should be at the top of most of the newscasts that you'd hear in the Pacific Northwest. And yet, for some reason, it's not. Tell us your website real quick, if you don't mind, David. It's uh, IdahoChoosesLife.org. IdahoChoosesLife.org. That's David Ripley. It's First Amendment Friday. Back in just a moment, I'll get to your phone calls and emails. And we'll talk about what looks like it may be the game-breaker 14th vote count on Capitol Hill to choose a Speaker of the House. And conservatives got some important wins in there. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. We will return to regular order. We will get the backs of the American taxpayers. This is the people's house. Let's get to work. Madam Clerk, I'm proud to nominate Kevin McCarthy to be the next Speaker of the United States House of Representatives, and I yield back. Well, that is James Comer, representative from Kentucky, and that was vote number 13. They got through 13. Kevin McCarthy did not win. They'll go to 14, but not until the late night hours of tonight on this First Amendment Friday. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. Glad to be with you, and always glad to take your calls just to let you know where that process stands. The House of Representatives has adjourned until 10 p.m. Eastern time, 7 o'clock here on the West Coast, and then they'll come back. But Comer, uh, James Comer, who I consider one of the good conservatives back there, he actually says, we got to get about this business. we got to get this done. And it sounds like on the 14th vote, sometime after 10 p.m. on a Friday night, so a little bit outside the view of most of the mainstream media, he says once they get that House Speaker chosen, they plan to do some serious investigations. Listen to this. Now let me say this loud and clear. The Republicans will also investigate a president for potential wrongdoing in Ukraine and Russia, as well as China. The American people have a lot of questions for Dr. Fauci. Christopher Ray, Merrick Garland, Secretary Mayorkas. We can't have those questions. We can't ask those questions until we get organized and elect our speaker. Now, I got to tell you, the latest word from Washington, D.C. is it looks as though Kevin McCarthy has made enough concessions to conservatives, which I have to point out, from my point of view, is a good thing. Because the conservative bunch, 20 of them, the Freedom Caucus, said, you've got to agree to certain things because Kevin McCarthy is too much of a moderate. So conservatives said, we want you to make some you know, certain concessions as to the things you will get done if you are Speaker of the House. And I've told you that I know a lot of people have been frustrated by this whole process going on all week long. I'm not, because I remind you every time we have an election, if you want to make sure that your member in the legislature, that your member of Congress, that your U- U.S. senator, when they come to your doorstep, when you show up at their town hall meetings, the time you have leverage with those people is uh, right before they've been elected. Once they've been elected, they really don't have to care about your point of view for another couple of years in the case of House members, six years in the case of senators. But when they're standing on your doorstep and you say to them, if I vote for you and if I tell my friends to vote for you, Will you agree to whatever it is that you care about most? Keep taxes low, keep government spending low, make sure that our military is supported, that sort of thing. You have the leverage when they're standing there asking for your vote. Once they've got your vote, 
You got next to nothing. Let's go to Alex. Hey, Alex, welcome to the Radio Northwest Network and First Amendment Friday. What's on your mind? Hey, Alex, can you hear me? Yes, sir. What's on your mind? So, okay. um, I believe that the uh, that the heroin epidemic, there is a fix for it, and the, I think that Oregon State needs to start with it first. I live in Oregon, so it only makes sense for it to start in Oregon. But um, there's a a drug called, out there called ibogaine, and it's an extremely powerful psychedelic that actually um, wipes out uh, the need for addiction or the need to use. I've heard of it. Um, how do you get yeah, people to use it? it? Al- Alex, how do you get people to use it? Um, well, I think getting them into treatment okay. would Now, hold on. Stop for a second because I want to make the best use of our time. I would agree. Get yeah. them into treatment. How do you do that? Because what used to happen in Oregon and Washington before Oregon's law was wiped out by Measure 110, Washington's law was wiped out by the idiots on the state Supreme Court, you could get people into treatment most effectively by saying to them, you've been arrested, you're facing a felony charge, you could go to jail, you could go to prison, you'll end up with a record, or you can go into treatment. And about 90% of the people faced with that circumstance would go into treatment. All of that has been wiped out. So you could have, you could have a magic pill tomorrow, but how do you get people to use it? Well, I definitely think, since I am an ex-user, um, I definitely think that uh, it wouldn't be hard to dupe a lot of these people into doing it because you would be able to tell them that they are going to take a drug, a psychedelic drug, that is going to change their life. And they're not really going to know what to expect. But once they do it, legally get away with. Effect. Do you think we could legally get away with fool? If the government said we're going to trick people into taking a drug, I think we've just been through two years of that, haven't we? I mean, yeah, we have, but like, if it's going to change the heroin epidemic, I think it would be well, the better. Be so for the, the better because it would the means. Uh, Alex, but tell me this: Do you think legally, ethically, or morally, the United States government or the government of any state or any county or any city should trick citizens into taking any drug, no matter how much you and I might think this will be good for you? I mean, you tell kids morally, you, morally you, no. How about legally? Legally. Uh, no, I don't think it's legal, um, but I don't think it would be far of a stretch to be able to tell these people that they would be able to change their lives in a drastic way and become a contributing member of society. And you think it'd be okay to trick them because you said dupe them. I don't think right? it. Okay. Yeah, I know. I know I did say dupe, but I, I, I don't mean it that way. I don't think it would take much enticing with people that are in the mindset of getting high already. Okay. How about telling them, and if you don't, there's a consequence, which we used to use, and it used to get people into treatment. Would you be okay with that? I would totally be okay with that. Well, let's get Salem and Olympia to change the laws back. It's First Amendment Friday. Your calls are welcome at 866-HEY-LARS, and you're listening to The Lars Larson Show. Lars here with a question for you. Why is it that some people aren't as stressed out about the future as you'd think they would be? 
The answer, they're probably among the millions of Americans who prepared themselves with emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. If the worst ever happens, literally millions of American families are already protected from dealing with those empty store shelves. Is yours? Mine is. If not, go to MyPatriotSupply.com right now and grab some emergency food kits, at least one for every member of your family. These kits give you a wide variety of delicious meals that average over 2,000 calories per day. That's what you need. Everything stays fresh for up to 25 years in storage. Order your kits right now by going to MyPatriotSupply.com. Your order ships fast and arrives discreetly in unmarked boxes. Listen, this is something you need to jump on now before the next news headline stuns the world. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com. That's MyPatriotSupply.com. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a First Amendment Friday. It is the Radio Northwest Network, and it's my pleasure to be with you. And if you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, you can certainly find it here. And on First Amendment Fridays, it's kind of like the Wild West. Everybody can call in. Every subject is fair game. And, of course, naysayers always go to the head of the line at 866-HEY-LARS. Our Twitter poll today, should a Northwest state rep keep his seat in the legislature after serial lying about his life and about his military service? We're talking about state rep Clyde Shavers from the 10th Legislative District. I would say no, he should not keep his seat, but you can decide on your own. Vote in our Twitter poll, at Lars Larson Show. And if you want to sign the shift Wah petition to not seat Clyde Shavers in the legislature in Olympia, you can go to our website. The uh, address for that petition is on our website. We're not sponsoring it. shift Wah is Randy Pebble and Company, but we're glad to see you uh, add your name to it if you want. Yesterday, I asked you, should Northwest schools require the shot, the jab, the COVID-19 so-called vaccine for parents to volunteer in schools. I said no to that. 96% of you joined me in that no vote. Only 4% of you voted yes. In any case, it's a First Amendment Friday. I want to put this to you. If somebody sells illegal drugs to somebody you care about, and that person, the person you care about, dies, what should the penalty be for the person who supplied that killing dose of drugs? Well, it turns out that here in the Northwest, it might be as little as three months of home detention. When we heard about this case, I thought we've got to talk to our guy who's most knowledgeable about it, former District Attorney Josh Marquis, who joins me now. Josh, welcome back to the program on a First Amendment Friday. You don't usually join us for the uh, First Amendment Friday edition of the show, so glad you're here. Thank you. I I feel like I probably get my, my, my turn, so... You do. Yeah, tell me about carfentanil, and tell me about this woman who sold a, a deadly dose uh, to a man, uh, and, and Car- is only three three months of home detention. What what happened there? I'm surprised it's even that much. Carfentanil is what's called an analog of the drug fentanyl, which is, of course, since Measure 110 was passed by, by Soros injecting millions of dollars into the 2020 election and just lying to Oregonians at a massive level. This could be one of the worst ballot measures ever. Uh, Essentially, it's legalized um, heroin, methamphetamine, and what passes for oxycodone. Um, So technically, for example, cops come across somebody with 39 tablets of what appear to be oxycodone. And most of the time, these are gray-blue tablets stamped with an M and a 30 on the other side. They're not really oxycodone. They're really fentanyl, or they're some bootleg thing. But since the police have no ability to search anymore because it's not a crime, they can't really do anything about it. 
So carfentanil, so fentanyl is an incredibly potent narcotic that has enormous value inside hospitals. If you've ever had a colonoscopy or more serious surgery, you've been given, to give you an idea, they usually give you about one fiftieth of a, of a single milligram. Um, so what happens is it gets mixed in in much larger. And carfentanil is not used for humans. It's usually used for any large animals. I remember rescuing a lion 40 years ago in Oregon, and that's the drug that they, they used to sedate a lion so we could free him from a cage. So what's happening is all the drug dealers, because carfentanil can be made by almost anybody. With, you know, It doesn't require real special knowledge or special chemicals, and it's extremely dangerous, and obviously it makes people really crazy. Um, Oregon has fallen behind other states. And there's many states, including California, where knowingly selling the drug that then causes death is considered, in many states, second-degree murder. Sure, but, but in Oregon, the, the Len nope. Bias case, right? Well, that's, that's the federal law. The, the yep. Len Bias, in fact, you know, and the federal prosecutors in Oregon, bless them, have, in fact, prosecuted. There's a, a very vocal woman who's now on the, the statewide council who was convicted of, of, of selling it was heroin, not fentanyl, to a friend of hers who died, and the, and the feds prosecuted her, and she went to federal prison for several years. But you won't see that in the state criminal system, and you certainly won't see that out of Multnomah County. Um, it's treated largely as, I'm surprised when you said three months detention, that sounds actually like a pretty heavy sentence for what we usually see. We have to remember that as a result of Measure 110, Functionally, although maybe not literally, these drugs are really legalized in Oregon. Well, There's almost I, Josh, no Josh, Josh, I tell my audience it's de facto legalization, and they say, well, what does that mean? I say, well, <laughs> if, you, if you still can get a ticket for it, it's not legalized. But if the right. ticket is $25, it can be jumped up to 100 But if all you have to do to escape the consequence of the ticket is make a phone call to a treatment center and say, thank right. you, no, I don't want to go into treatment, uh, and then you escape even the $25 fine, that's, that's a, the equivalent of legalization. Because, and, and as exactly. you point out, if somebody gets caught with 39 tabs that appear to be oxy, and as you right. point out, since you can't be arrested for it, the cop would have to arrest you, take the, the tablets into hand, and then have them tested to determine that right. they're fentanyl. So even though fentanyl is still technically illegal as a hard drug, it's effectively legalized because you never get a chance to test it, right? Because you can't, you can't, you can't a cop, the cop you're talking about could get a search warrant if it were a crime, but you can't get a search warrant for an infraction. And by the way, that $25, that's not just, let's be clear, I was a judge for one year uh, temporarily as a, as a volunteer, and I saw the memo from the Chief Justice's office that came out to all judges in Oregon about 2021 last year, two, I guess two years ago, and it said, we recommend, which was almost an order, that the fine always be $25. It theoretically could be 100 But as you know, and I think you've reported on, I know KXL has reported on, um, the, the fact of the matter is that there have been something like 1,000 citations, you know, down from twenty to 30,000 uh, when it was just misdemeanors, and something like 56 people have actually even called uh, – because there's, there's no consequence to it. If you refuse, they can't suspend your license. They can't arrest you. There's just no downside to just ignoring the ticket. And just to make it clear how dangerous this is, we know that fentanyl has killed a lot of people. 
This is 100 times more potent than fentanyl and 10,000 times more potent than the same amount of morphine? Yeah, it's, 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 it's not in use, period, for, for, for humans at all in any form, not even uh, in surgery. I mean, fentanyl is a super powerful drug and probably has almost no place in the marketplace. I mean, it is used in patches. People maybe it's a drug called Duragesic, uh, and they manufactured it pretty well so that it's fairly difficult to abuse. But, but carfentanil is just sort of beyond the pale. But this drug is relatively easy to make, and most importantly, like methamphetamine, but unlike oxycodone and heroin, you don't need to grow anything. It's an entirely synthetic drug, meaning that with the right chemicals and the right knowledge, anybody can make it in their basement or their bathroom. Unbelievable. That's Josh Marquis, the former DA from Clatsop County. Fact is, people are going to die because of fentanyl, because of car fentanyl. And as long as you're not willing to stand up and call your state lawmakers and say, look, change the law back, erase what Measure 110 did, you're going to still see people dying and sad stories about families who've lost a son or daughter. I can feel sorry for them, but unless they act right now, you're going to continue to see that. Back in a moment, it's First Amendment Friday. You got the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a First Amendment Friday. I'm glad to be with you, and I'll get back to your phone calls here in just a moment. I got to tell you about a story, though, that's coming about in Canada. And it makes me wonder whether or not Canada is turning into a country more like China. And I, I know that's, a, that's kind of a rough indictment to make of our neighbors to the north. But I always worry that things that Canada is doing might actually be emulated in the United States. And this has to do with telling a person that if the government decides that the kinds of things you're saying, Canada does not have a First Amendment like the United States does, but they're still relatively similar to us in uh, their culture and everything else, um, that if the government doesn't agree with you, you may be forced into what's called social media re-education. I know it makes me think of Cambodia and the re-education camps where if they didn't like you because you'd gone to college or you had any kind of technical information, they'd send you off to a re-education camp. Many of the people sent off to the Cambodian re-education camps died. I don't think there's a risk of that here. But this is crazy stuff. But let me get to the details of that in just a moment. First, welcome to First Amendment Friday. If you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it happens right here every day of the week. And then on First Amendment Fridays, we open up the phone lines and every subject is fair game. At 866-HEY-LARS, that's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And, of course, you can vote in our Twitter poll. You'll find that two places, at Lars Larson Show on Twitter and LarsLarson.com on the web. And welcome back to the Radio Northwest Network, proudly serving the Pacific Northwest states of Oregon, Washington, and Idaho for the past 23 years, providing honestly provocative talk on a daily basis. Now, let me tell you what's going on. There's a guy, I've never had the opportunity to interview him. He's a very busy guy, but his name is Jordan Peterson, and I know a lot of you know him. He's a psychologist from Canada, and they call him controversial only because he says things in a way that very few other people do. But I think he's completely reasonable. Well, there's been a legal challenge against the College of Psychologists in Ontario, Canada. That governing body for this man, Jordan Peterson's profession, has threatened to pull his license to practice if he does not complete what is called social media re-education for comments that he made both on Twitter 
and on Joe Rogan's podcast. Now, he's filed an application for judicial review. That's going to cost a lot of money. The Toronto Sun had reported on the story earlier this week. He says he's going to refuse to comply with the regulatory body's demands. The CPO, as it's known, uh, which oversees practicing psychologists in Ontario to protect patients from professional misconduct. Well, you can understand that. But they ordered Peterson to complete a mandatory specified continuing education or remedial program to, quote, review, reflect and ameliorate his professionalism in public statements. Now, this is the kind of thing that under the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, I don't believe could happen in the United States, although I wouldn't put it past the crazy liberals to actually try this kind of thing. I mean, so far, what they've been able to do is control what people say by simply talking to Facebook and Twitter, etc. But after Elon Musk bought Twitter and said, no, we're not going to throttle people's sp speech anymore. Here's what he is supposed to have to do. Jordan Peterson has been told he has to meet with a psychologist for coaching classes that he has to pay for until a final report is issued by the coach that says the government's concerns have been properly ameliorated. Now, back in June, Twitter had suspended Jordan Peterson for a post about a transgender actor named Elliot Page that it says broke the platform's rules against hateful conduct. Remember when pride was a sin and Ellen Page just had her breasts removed by a criminal physician. Peterson had tweeted that out. Twitter, Twitter's new CEO reinstated Peterson's account back in November. A month earlier, Peterson announced he'd be stepping away from social media because he caught heat for retweeting a New York Post article about a plus-size Sports Illustrated model calling her not beautiful and adding that no amount of authoritarian tolerance is going to change that. Now, you might find that rude. You might find it pointed. The point is, just simply engaging in free speech gets you called up before a professional body, and the threat is that you'll lose your license to practice if you don't comply with what the government tells you to think and say out loud. I worry that that kind of nonsense in Canada might just translate through to people trying the same kind of thing here in America. And if you don't believe that the government is interested in controlling speech, you should take a look at the actions of the city of San Francisco, the city of New York, or even the Biden administration pushing that ridiculous Ministry of Truth nonsense they were pushing. But it's First Amendment Friday. Let me get to some of your phone calls. Let me start with Bernadette in Tennessee. Hey, Bernadette, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Thank you. Yeah, so I'm in Tennessee, but I'm also in Washington State. I'm with Informed Choice Washington, and there's a House bill, 1045, creating the Evergreen Basic Income Pilot Program. I don't know if you're aware of this, but it's, it's a little frightening. And this is what is really concerning. This is their intent. The legislature further finds that climate change will spread disease faster than in the past, creating a new normal for interruption of the labor market, quarantines, and mass disabling events like those seen during the COVID-19 pandemic, become more commonplace. So in other so words, they're they, anticipating more lockdowns, and when their lockdowns happen, people won't be able to make an income. So they're proposing, if I've, if I've read through this, they're proposing that states or the federal government should supply people with an income so that when the government tells them to stay home, shut down their business, don't go to your job, that the government will simply write you a check? 
Exactly. And there's more individuals that this plays into, and I know I don't have a lot of time, so I encourage you to go read it completely and and see and maybe bring on some experts to talk about the the real dangers of what's going on here. Yeah, Um, and there's a public hearing on January 11th. It's already um, been set. They're going to rush this thing through. What's really interesting, Lars, I've never heard it worded this before. It says it's scheduled for a public hearing in the House Committee uh, 1.30 p.m. in anticipation of other legislative action. I don't know what that means. I've, I've been, you know, following. I, I, I don't, I, Bernadette, I don't know that I can translate that one either. But I'll tell you what, I'll take a close look at it, and I appreciate the phone call. Let's go to uh, Chris. Hey, Chris, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Hi, Lars. I just wanted to make a comment on the the drug dealer uh, selling drugs that caused the death. And, uh, you know, I, I don't normally disagree with you, but I kind of disagree with you on that a little bit. I, I I find your stance a little bit like suing the gun store for selling somebody a gun that they used to kill somebody. No, except for one difference. A gun is a legal thing for someone to purchase, and you can still sue the gun maker if they've made a faulty product. If I bought a gun, a shotgun, and it blew up in my face because of a manufacturing flaw, I could sue the company that made the gun. But what you're saying is, what what I was saying is, if you take an illegal drug, which is an illegal drug, a gun is not an illegal object if sold legally, if you sell this illegal drug to someone and they take it and they die, shouldn't you be held responsible for their death? But I think that it was kind of the person's choice that took the drug. It wasn't the person that sold it to them. Maybe the person that sold it to them wasn't aware. And that's that's the comparison I'm making there. Is The person that's selling drugs is not aware they can kill people? Which, which drug well, dealer somebody, do you think is unaware of that? To go, I'm saying somebody makes a choice to go out and purchase illegal drugs. That's a, a risky business. It's a risky yes, endeavor. Yes, and it is. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to The Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to take your phone calls and emails. I'll get back to those in just a moment at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. You can vote in our Twitter poll. You'll find that at Lars Larson Show. I want you to imagine this. You land what you believe is your dream job, and then you start to notice some things inside the job. And in this case, I'm talking about a whistleblower, uh, but... If you notice those things and you say the right thing to do is to try to bring this to some kind of public light, and then you find the consequences of doing that can be very, very serious. Well, Cassandra Spencer is exactly that person, former U.S. Army public affairs officer, turned Facebook insider, turned Project Veritas undercover journalist, and the author of a brand new book called Impact, How I Went Behind Enemy Lines in Our Struggle Against the Far Left. Ms. Spencer, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Lars. Now, that's a long, complicated story. But first, thanks for your service in uniform. And as a PAO, uh, you, you had a lot of knowledge about how information is handled. And then you went to work for, for Facebook. Tell me about that job. And, and was it truly your dream job when you first got it? You know, um, my military career after I was in a, ended after I was in a car accident um, that oh, made it where I wasn't a, unable to continue serving. And before that, one of the jobs I had actually wanted was to be um, the social media instructor over at the um, Defense Information School over in Maryland. 
So when I got the job at Facebook, I was like, this is perfect. And what were you doing at Facebook? You know, I was just getting my foot in the door, so I accepted a contract position where I was analyzing intellectual property claims. And so that's why um, the whole story is sort of so crazy. It's because I really went into this job uh, not expecting to find anything interesting as far as political censorship goes. Sorry, ma'am. Just so people understand, uh, intellectual property claims. So in other words, if I put up a video and it appeared to have some music on it that wasn't licensed by me to put on on a post, uh, you might might send me a notice and say, hey, we might have to pull this down because you're using copyright material. Is it that kind of work? Yes, that sort of work or, you know, people uploading Disney movies or uh, live streaming, pay-per-view sporting events, uh, things like that. So an important job, but all, all the still, what did you start to notice when there were notes put on the accounts of prominent conservatives on Facebook? Right. So regularly we would get tickets um, from different prominent accounts, whether that be on the left or the right. And so whenever we would get those accounts, we would want to look at the whole account, you know, authenticate that it is the person who is making the complaint or, um, you know, that the content had been posted. And so whenever you would go and look at the back end of these accounts, you could see all the account notes for that account. So, like, for instance, Lars, if I had gone to your the back end of your Facebook page and I had issued you a copyright strike, right. I would have seen there in the account notes, you know, copyright strike issued, you know, by Cassandra Spencer, uh, user notified, Right. And, and does that does that help guide you? Because then if you say, boy, this Lars, he's he's getting these strikes like every two minutes. So he's you know, he probably knows exactly what he's doing and he may be breaking the rules on purpose versus somebody who just got their first strike and has never had one before. Well, exactly. And especially if you're talking with a prominent account, it could be a matter where, you know, if someone like let's say someone with a very large account got hacked. And then all of a sudden they were streaming, you know, Lilo and Stitch illegally. (laughs) Um, You know, that would also give us an indication that their account had been compromised. (laughs) Right. Right. So so what did you do about that? When you saw those notes, what were you seeing? So one day, you know, I noticed an odd note on just one account um, where I saw a note that said, IA deboost reduce live distribution. I think and I, I was like, that's a weird note on account, <laughs> you know, and I saw it once and this is kind of before the term shadow banning had ever come into the lexicon. And so I kind of ignored it, move on. But then I kept seeing it pop up again and again. And so I started to look for the specific note on account um, whenever I would go through tickets because I would action thousands of, you know, tickets a day. And so I noticed that it was only being applied to prominent conservative accounts. And so then, of course, I go digging through, you know, essentially wikis that Facebook will have on the back end or employee groups trying to find any information on this and anything like it. And I ended up finding um, information not only on the code that I had seen on the back end of accounts, but other programs that Facebook was researching or trying to institute where, and it really is stuff that 
this is back in 2017, 2018, um, was new information then, but it's all been confirmed uh, now. Exactly. So, so you're seeing people like James Woods get zapped all the time or Jordan Peterson. Well, Jordan Peterson was a little bit later, but James Woods is a conservative. He gets zapped all the time. And then maybe Nancy Pelosi and Maxine Waters, not so, near, not so nearly as much. Exactly. Like accounts that I remember looking at specifically were um, included Stephen Crowder's account, um, the Daily Caller's account. And then on the other hand, you know, I would routinely get tickets from like the New York Times, um, LeBron James, you know. Uh, and I, I wanted to really be thorough about this and not be biased. So I tried to see whether it was, you know, mainstream versus independent media. So I even you know, would look for independent left-leaning outlets to see if this was applied to their accounts as well, and it really wasn't. Um, now, you you decided, though, like I, I want targeted. people to read the book that you wrote. It's called Impact, How I Went Behind Enemy Lines on Our Struggle Against the Far Left. You decided to take some of this information to Project Veritas, our friend James O'Keefe. What happened? Yes, so um, I went and I started sending the information over to Project Veritas after seeing tweets from James, um, and I didn't think much anything would come of it. But, of course, as more and more information I kept finding and sending over, um, I kind of, you know, went through the looking glass <laughs> and found myself uh, interrogated for two hours by Facebook security, escorted out of the building, unemployed, and then eventually being hired as an undercover journalist for Project Veritas, you know, which luckily I had that public affairs background and intelligence. <laughs> so and, and one of the other things, not just unemployed, I mean, almost everybody's been unemployed here or there, but unemployable within the uh, tech sector or, or social media. Oh, absolutely. You know, um, to this day. In fact, there's a story that I talk about where there was a point where Facebook was trying to reach out to conservative groups to kind of try to assuage some of the concerns. And they invited Project Veritas. And so we decided to send me as the representative to this meeting, and we didn't <laughs> pull any trickery. We put down my real name. And, you know, mind you, Facebook invited Project Veritas to their offices in Washington, D.C., Right. be part of this roundtable discussion. And the day before I was supposed to go there, they sent an email saying that Cassandra Spencer is banned from Facebook premises. Wow. You've got to read this book. It's by Cassandra Spencer, who served as a public affairs officer for the United States Army. She worked at Facebook. She saw things going on that just weren't right. She decided to make a light of that, you know, to show it to people so people knew what was going on. She tells the story in Impact, how I went behind enemy lines in our struggle against the far left. Ms. Spencer, thank you very much. I appreciate the time. Back in a moment, we'll get to your calls. 866-HEY-LARS. It's First Amendment Friday, and you're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network.
Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's First Amendment Friday. Glad to be with you and glad to have you join me on the Radio Northwest Network. This segment of the show brought to you by NickShivers.com. For an instant offer to sell your home immediately, no showing, no hassles, and you pick the closing date. NickShivers.com for details. Now, I've got a few things to talk about, but since it's a First Amendment Friday, I want to get some of your calls in. If you'd like to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it's 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866 Seven, seven. And as always, naysayers go to the head of the line. Let's go to Richard, listening in Kennewick on the great KONA AM 610. Hey, Richard, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? I, you stole my thunder. I was going to say 610 AM, so thank you. <laughs> I'm a frequent caller. This is Richard, your Kennewick man. And my topic is affordable housing. And there is no shortage of buildable land and agreeable property owners for affordable housing. But there's an overabundance of government rules and regulations preventing this from happening. I would agree with you. I mean, Richard, whether it's Kennewick, whether it's Seattle, Portland, Oregon, and Washington, I think Idaho's a little better about this. But both of the, the, the two of the three states in our Radio Northwest network have absolutely insane land use policies. And What's crazy is the people in government on one hand will say, oh, we wish, we just wish, you know, they, they, they wring their hands, they twist their pearls, you know, they put on sad faces about how little affordable housing there is. And then they turn right back around and write rules and regulations that make it well nigh impossible to build more affordable housing. And then they say, well, since nobody can build it, the government has to do it. And they do it usually at a price tag that's about 50% above what the private sector can do it for. And I, I and we've talked about specific examples where this, you know, similar projects being built, you know, very close together, same neighborhood, same land, same population uh, in, in cities in Oregon and Washington is built at 50% higher price when it's built with a public subsidy. So I'm what, still here. I'm just listening because no. But what's, what's your suggestion? I want to. Uh, my audience wants to hear your suggestion, Richard. They've heard plenty of mine. I love listening to you because I've never I've never learned anything while I was talking. Okay? <laughs> well, that's I great. But three, I got three quarters of an acre. I got three quarters of an acre of a pasture out here on a busy north south uh, uh, street. It's called Edison, where I could easily with the city's approval, put in probably six affordable uh, 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 homes. Not homes, but let's say duplexes or condominiums. Call it what you want. But right sure. now, the, the city of Kennewick is getting next to nothing as far as taxes. But you can imagine, if you put six units on that, all of a sudden they're going to get like, I don't know, 30 times more the amount of taxes. Here's sure. the kicker. I have to, I have, they're telling me I got to put in the upgrades on the street that is tangent to Edison. It's 240 feet at about hundred dollars a foot or what? No, thousand dollars. It's going to be upwards of $200,000 for me. Quarter to of a million bucks. Yep. Yeah. 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 And it'll make, then I can go ahead and, and proceed with my, well, where's it? Come on, do the math. Where's the sense in that? So I've sent a message to uh Dan Newhouse or fourth congressional district here representative, although out of Washington, D.C., I mean, that's primarily where he represents us. I think this thing is a nationwide problem. I well, think it's nationwide. And yeah, that it needs except, to start and, and, except Richard, I don't think you're working from the wrong end of the problem. Can I suggest that to you? 
you need to go to your county commission, or if this is city of Kennewick, you need to go to the city council and say to them, you have to adopt different policies. And Richard, this has always confounded me. It's one of the dumbest things that I've, I've ever run into. Uh, I'll give you an example. Of, and, and you're just starting at the top of the list. You, know, you got to fix the street. You got to uh, you know, broaden the street. Um, but you'll have to put in sewer. You'll have to put in water. And, it, and I don't know whether they have system development charges. Those are present in cities like Portland and Seattle. But they make it hard to be a customer of the government. And, and when, when they tell somebody, oh, you want to build apartment complexes, well, you're going to have $50,000 worth of system development charges, planning charges, and permit charges before you can turn over a single shovel full of dirt. And that's the reality in a lot of the bigger cities. Kennewick might actually be a little bit easier on things than that. And I wonder why they make it so hard. And Richard, let me make this comparison. If you go in and say, I'd like to build a house here, chances are that house will be there for 100 years, right? And, and when somebody moves into the house, they'll have water and they'll have sewer and they'll pay those fees. The smart way, if you were trying to actually make it possible for people to buy housing, would be to say, yeah, we'll, we'll give you a, a relatively small fee to add that city to the system. And rather than charge you this giant system development charge, we'll collect the money over time. It's the same way that if you walked into us in most cell phone stores, if a young person walked in and said, I want to get my first cell phone, I like that iPhone over there. Well, they go for a thousand bucks a piece. What does the cell phone store do? They say, all you've got to pay is 30 bucks a month. And the young person says, oh, well, that's, I can afford that. And, and they get their phone and the cell phone company makes money. They make money on selling the phone. They probably make money even on the time payment of that thousand dollars. Now, Richard, how many, how many cell phones do you suppose that store would sell? If they told every customer, yep, put your thousand bucks right here, uh, and then you can have the cell phone, how many customers would they have? Yeah, it'd be tough. It'd be slim to none. And the same thing at a car dealership. If you walked in and said, I'd like to buy a brand new car, and they said, we'd be happy to sell you one, but you have to pay us $50,000 for the car cash up front, or you don't drive away from the car. Instead, they say, we'd be happy to take those payments over three years or four years or five or six or even seven years. You can do it that way, too. And they sell lots and lots of cars. The government is full of idiots. Oregon Utility Notification Center wants to remind you that... Whether you're planting a tree, building a fence, or just making improvements around your farm or home, click or call before you start your work to get the area marked. Then dig safely and avoid contact with buried utilities. You owe it to yourself and your loved ones. Know what's below. Call before you dig. For more information, visit us online at digsafelyoregon.com. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show, and welcome back to the Radio Northwest Network. It's a pleasure to be with you on First Amendment Friday. I want to bring you up to date on what's happening on Capitol Hill at this point. In the east, it is 5 o'clock in the evening. Here on the west coast, of course, it's just past 2 o'clock. And it appears that after 13 unsuccessful votes, there will be another vote. But of course, like everything else that's done that's important in Washington, D.C., they're going to do it in the late night hours 
The U.S. Senate is planning, no, sorry, the House is planning to come back into session at 10 p.m. Eastern time, so 7 o'clock here on the West Coast, to have another vote. And it looks as though Kevin McCarthy may have sewn up the votes to become House Speaker, but with some important demands met for conservatives who want to make sure that we actually get something done and no more of this go-along, get-along, uniparty nonsense with the left side of the aisle. So an update on that. Sounds like there will be a House Speaker after tonight. But that final vote, I would expect it to finish out uh, somewhere near midnight on the East Coast, about 9 o'clock on the West Coast, which means that an awful lot of the media won't be paying as much attention to it. Now, we can only hope that things in Olympia go differently than things have gone in, on Capitol Hill this last week. Senator John Brown joins me now. Senator, it's good to have you back. Hey, Lars. Thanks for having me on. So we've got an upcoming legislative session in Olympia, and are conservatives and Republicans going to be able to get something done about some of the major problems facing the Evergreen State? Well, we're certainly going to give it our best shot. You know, we face a challenge from the minority, but uh, that's not stopping us from putting forth a solid agenda that focuses on what we hear from folks around the state. And that's how do we get after our public safety problem in Washington, specifically the Blake decision and the pursuit bill? How do we get law, more law enforcement officers? How do we make it affordable to live in the state of Washington? And from food to gas to housing to child care, we have challenges, regulatory challenges that we need to fix so that these are affordable for the people of the state of Washington. And, and how do we fix our education system? So we, we correct the damage done during the pandemic where we kept our kids out of school and, and had the associated learning loss get them back on track and make sure you know our k-12 system is delivering for students for parents and for our communities like it should be uh, we have an, a robust agenda on these issues we're going to work hard we're not a, we're, we're not afraid to, to to take on these issues and offer real solutions but it, it's going to be a challenge well i'm hoping that you're up to that challenge because this pursuit bill where the police have effectively been told by the law that they can't chase a whole bunch of the criminals that ought to be chased uh, th that has not worked out well for the state. Is it possible uh, to get your Democrat colleagues to get on board with the idea that that has to change? I, I think so. And just to be clear, you know, we passed a resolution to this problem last year. We passed out of the Senate. The, the, the House uh, diluted it a little bit, but still it was okay. It came back to the, the Senate after the House passed it uh, for, for uh, approval by the Senate. And the, the Senate leadership held it up. There were very clearly votes to do this. There are Democrats over there who recognize that this has to be fixed. Look, when we passed it the first time, there were, I think, 33 or 34 votes. I expect there are still that many. In fact, I think there are more now. It really comes down to, to keeping pressure on the, the current majority leadership to bring the bill for a vote. If that happens, I'm confident we can get it passed. Well, Senator Braun, that's the thing I think is hard for average citizens, including me. And I'm a Washington state citizen. I guess I've got a dog in the fight in that I don't plan to, get to be running from the police anytime soon. But when a bad guy is running from the police who's hurt a member of my family or ripped off a business that I care about, um, I want them to be chased. What in the world is leadership thinking when they say, we've got this bill, it's passed both houses, we just have to iron out the differences, and then they decide to throw the thing under a bus? You know, they're really basically, uh, you know, taking the need of the far left uh, members of their caucus. They are, it is the real problem is that they have uh, been un were unwilling to stand up to the far left and say, no, this is a very clear problem. It's really not a partisan problem. It's, it's, it's a public safety problem. And it's a public safety problem for Republicans and Democrats and independents 
it's one we need to fix. And it's really not that hard. Look, we need to make sure our law enforcement officers get the training they need, they have the tools and the authority they need, and then we need to give them the trust they deserve to make the right decision. We obviously need to hold them accountable, but we know they make these they, they have made these decisions well in the past, and there's no reason to think they can't make them well in the future. Washington is a complete outlier in this law. We're one of 50 states that requires probable cause for a pursuit versus reasonable suspension. It's absolutely nuts. Senator Brown, I started today's show on First Amendment Friday talking about Marysville and what they've done. They've apparently thrown up their hands and said, listen, if Olympia won't fix this problem of hard drug use, we'll at least go after all of the public drug use in Marysville. We'll, we'll make it a misdemeanor crime in the city. Are we going to have to have cities all over the state do that same kind of thing to convince Olympia that they've got to take serious action on the drug problem? Yeah, this is uh, this is going to be one of the big challenges we have in the session. But again, I'm optimistic. I think we have the votes. There are there are uh, you know moderate and even not so moderate Democrats who made promises to their constituents during the last election that they would fix this issue in a responsible manner. You know, they need to live up to their promises. And, and assuming they do, I think we get a solution that includes higher penalties. Yes, it includes more includes services, and we because. Uh, Let's be candid. The, the goal here isn't necessarily to put these folks in jail or prison. Nope. The, the goal is to help them break their addiction. But we can't just hope they'll do it. We need to involve law, law enforcement. We ha- need to have some leverage to get them in treatment, keep them in treatment, and help them put their lives back together. So uh, there's a lot that goes into this. But I, again, am optimistic that we have the votes, but we got to get it. We, we got to get the majority leadership in both chambers to be willing to bring it up for a vote. And, and we're going to be working on that from from day one to get this fixed. And by the way, Senator Brown, I suggest that your colleagues look south to Oregon. You've probably done this already, where they said, well, we'll offer treatment. They put up literally a quarter of a billion dollars to provide treatment, and they didn't get any takers whatsoever. So when somebody says, well, all we have to do is offer them treatment, and the addicts will just flock in and get treatment, it ain't working on the south side of the Columbia River. There's no reason to believe it'll, it'll work north, is it? Is there? Nope. You're 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 exactly right, and absolutely, we're using, we're looking to the the failed experiment in Oregon, and really a very similar experiment over the last two years in Washington, where at the state level, you know, it was a misdemeanor, but nobody was enforcing it. So, uh, hard drugs were essentially legalized in Washington for all practical purposes, and the results the results have been disastrous. You know, our growth in in drug overdose uh, fatalities is almost is over twice the national average right now the, the second leading cause of death in our state if you're under 60 years old is is overdose you know people are dying as they're all as a result of bad decisions made by the majority in, in 2021 uh, we got to fix this i mean the the they always like to talk about let's look at the, look at the science, look at the data. Well, if you look at the data, you look at what's happening. It couldn't be more clear. This is not working. We need to fix it. Absolutely right, Senator John Brown. We're going to be checking in with you during the session, and we appreciate you coming on just to hit some of the high points of what's coming up in the Legislative Assembly. I want to get to your calls. It's a First Amendment Friday at eight six six. Hey Lars, that's eight six six four three nine five two seven seven. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com, and you can vote in our Twitter poll as well. You'll find that at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com. Coming up. 
Should the law allow one parent to chemically castrate a child over the other parent's objections? We'll get to that next. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. And it's First Amendment Friday, which means the phone lines are wide open. You're allowed to call in on any subject whatsoever. I always, when I started doing this show more than a quarter of a century ago, I said, you know, I want to make sure that nobody is ever able to say, well, there was a subject, but Lars just wouldn't talk about it. Well, fine. You call in, suggest the subject, just have your facts in order, and maybe be ready to answer a few questions from me, as the lawyers like to say, in aid of an objection. Now, if you want to join the conversation, it's easy to do. 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. And as always, naysayers go to the head of the line. If you want to email instead, talk at LarsLarson.com. And if you want to vote in our Twitter poll, that's easy too. You'll find it at Lars Larson Show on Twitter. Yeah, Twitter's much uh, less objectionable these days with Elon Musk in charge. Or you can go to our website and the vote there counts the same. I want you to consider this. Should the law allow one parent to chemically castrate a child over the objection of the other parent? Now, this is a case that was just considered by the Texas Supreme Court. And here's what they said. A father came to the Texas Supreme Court. We've gone to the lower courts already. But the father came in and he said, look, my ex-wife, who has custody of my son, the father lives in Dallas, Texas. The mother lives in California. And he's been in a high-profile custody battle revolving around his ex-wife's belief that their son, James, actually wants to be a girl. He's 10 years old. And the father says, no, 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 no. James rejected the idea of being a female, did not wear dresses when he visited his father's home after the parents split up about eight years ago. So the father went to the Texas courts in December, and he wanted temporary emergency custody of his son and his twin brother, Jude. He asked the court to order their return to Texas after he discovered last month that his ex-wife, Anne, who had temporary custody of their sons, had moved off to California. Now, she's allowed to do that, but there it is. The law that went into effect January 1st made California a transgender sanctuary state. And what the father is worried about He's worried that his wife is going to use that status, that sanctuary status, to be able to transition his child. Now, that means puberty blockers, even sex reassignment surgery, because the, well, and the courts are trusting that the mother won't do this because the Texas Supreme Court denied the father's petition to bring his son home. They said, well, we've got a court order in place that says she's not going to treat James with puberty blockers or sex reassignment surgery without the consent of parents or a court order. Now, I would imagine that most of you who have been through a child custody case, I have not personally, so I don't have a dog in the fight, but I've seen them happen from a distance, and you wonder, is the mother actually going to follow the order or not? And uh, the Texas Supreme Court said, no, we're not going to do this. And we don't think your wife will do these things to your son. But, of course, once you've given the child puberty blockers, once you've done the sex reassignment surgery, that is something that can't be easily undone. To your calls now, let's go first to Kathy. Hey, Kathy, welcome to First Amendment Friday. What's on your mind? Um, Lars, I'm calling in regard to how difficult it is for people to adopt children. Yes. 
Um, what I've uh, seen with some very close friends is that they pay uh, thousands of dollars to attorneys and adoption agencies, and then at the last minute, the parents change their mind, um, and then the child actually gets caught up in foster care, even though there is a family, a very uh, you know well-positioned family to take care of the child. And I don't have an answer, but I feel like in regard to the conversation about pro-life, I really yes. feel like there needs to be some assistance somehow, somewhere. I don't have the answers, but I do feel strongly that the whole adoption system is very, very complex and expensive and difficult for families who really and, and are. I, I agree with you, Kathy. Number one, that's something, if we could get past some of these other problems as well, but could you imagine both state legislatures and the Congress saying, let's make it easier? Uh, you know, because I don't I don't mind if part of the system says we want to make sure that when an adoption happens, that it's done the right way and that it's done in a way that protects the interests of the child. I'm far more interested in the interests of the child than I am of either the adoptive parents or anybody else. I want the child to be taken care of. But what you're saying is, and it matches with what I've learned over the years, that adoption is unnecessarily complicated. Is that what, am I right in guessing that's yes, what you're saying? Yes, and, and, heart, and it can be heart-wrenching. Um, the, the situation I'm, I'm explaining or discussing is where the child, the parents changed their mind, the child is in ICU, and so then they were deemed unfit, and then instead of the child going to the adoptive family, the child had to go into foster care. Now, hold and on, I why, no, but I, I missed something here. The child is in, 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 in intensive care? The child was in NICU because the child was born early. Oh, okay. Um, and, then the, and then the parents changed their mind that they wanted the child, but then they were deemed unfit. And so then instead of going to the adoptive parents, the child went into foster care. Well, so that's now, the part hold on. that just doesn't so, even make sense. So, so, Kathy, just to translate this, for people who are not familiar with the, firm she, the term she used, NICU is the neonatal intensive care unit. So this is a premature baby, but many premature yes. babies grow up just fine. You know, they, they need some extra right. help at the beginning. So you're telling me that when the baby was born early, the people who were going to adopt the baby said, oh, in that case, if it's a preemie, we're not interested? No, no, no. What happened was the parents, the actual natural parents, changed their mind about oh. wanting to keep, keep, they wanted to keep the baby. But then after they said they wanted to keep the baby, then the agencies in place said they were unfit. But then instead of the adoptive family getting the baby, they sent the baby to foster care because the parents changed their mind. That, so see it's that? just ridiculous. It is you ridiculous. Know? And Kathy, they're... There, I mean, in some ways, I, I understand this can be a heartrending decision, but having said that, Kathy, if you say we want to put our child up for adoption, there's got to be a point where you say, and we have committed to that position, and we're not going to reverse our decision. Do you think if that were changed so that there's a point where everybody has said, we want to adopt this child, and we're committed to it, uh, you know, no tears, no matter how it turns out, we're committed to it, and where the, the parents who are giving up the child would say, we are committed that we will give our child up for adoption, and there's a point where you get to make your, change your mind, and then after that, you don't get to change your mind. Would that help? 
I, I think that would, and to top this off, the child was the sibling of the child they had already adopted. Which would make perfect sense, wouldn't it, to keep those children right, together? exactly. So well, for no, that I, to you, go into foster care, yeah, that is it, just like, I want to rip my hair out for them because they, and then all the money they've put into it basically goes by the wayside. Yeah, and, uh, and it's not an, it's not a tiny it. amount of money either. So when people say, well, it's not about no. money, it's about the child. The fact is, if people are good enough to say, we want to take a child in, we're willing to pay for the adoption, there should be a way to make it much less expensive and make it so that once people have committed to a decision, they don't get just to willy-nilly change their mind when it comes at the expense of the child. Kathy, thank you for the call. It's First Amendment Friday, and you're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's First Amendment Friday. I'll get to your calls here in just a moment, including the naysayer calls, as we always do. And if you want to dial in, it's 866-439-5277. Remember, that is 866-HEY-LARS. You can send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. But I want to spend a moment or two talking to Mike Howell, who's a senior advisor for executive branch relations. Think the White House and the rest of the bureaucracy at the Heritage Foundation. Mike, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me. So Joe Biden got some time today. Of course, he wanted to make more of the January 6th event that happened uh, two years ago today. And uh, a lot of us have a different view of what happened that day. I'm not going to deny that hundreds of people broke the laws, most of them minor laws. Uh, I will not agree with the left when they say that uh, people were murdered that day other than Ashley Babbitt. And, of course, that's the one name the Biden administration doesn't want to talk about. But I wanted to get you on. Uh, to to talk about what has happened uh, with the J6 committee that now thankfully goes out of existence. And and should there be some more questions asked and answers given about what happened that day? Because I think think it was actually a setup with Nancy Pelosi because she knew things were going to happen. And she not only deliberately didn't prepare for the things she'd been warned of by the FBI, but she actually downgraded security that day. Are we ever ever likely to get an answer to those concerns? Well, if the incoming Congress does their jobs and fulfills their promises, we absolutely should. I mean, from the get-go, uh, there were 1,200 depositions or interviews conducted by the committee. Only 300 have been released. Where are the other 900? Uh, let's look at the video footage. We're talking about tens and thousands of hours that the House has sat on. Let's release the video footage, because all we've seen thus far are carefully edited, you know, uh, fear-mongering montages that have been put together. You know, they're leaving out the grannies peacefully walking around. But uh, the committee, let me just say, you know, I, I represented a client in front of the committee. I've been in the belly of the beast. I'm a former congressional investigator. i got to say, as a, from a professional opinion, this is one of the worst congressional investigations I've ever seen. And here's the metric by which I judge it. Okay. They came out of the gates and said President Trump planned, organized uh, this whole thing. The investigation found nothing to that end whatsoever. In fact, it cleared. Uh, President Trump, of any central planning of this. All they could say is, oh, my gosh, he didn't tweet in time. Uh, so in terms of meeting expectations, they didn't even come close. And, of course, the media is just clownishly clapping along as if they did. And, Mike, you're a lawyer, right? Yes, sir. Okay, uh, I'm not. But I took note, and I pointed out to my audience, and I want you to correct me if I'm wrong, when the Biden Department of Justice brought six cases of seditious conspiracy uh, some of which they were successful on, much of which they were not. Not one of those cases 
indicated that Donald Trump was an unindicted co-conspirator or that he was involved in any substantial way other other than, say, being the inspiration uh, for, for some of the people who went up and did things on their own. Have I characterized that incorrectly to my audience? You, you've characterized it absolutely correctly. I'll, I'll do one better. They made a criminal referral to DOJ against Trump for aiding and abetting a, a, a insurrection. Okay, let's think about that for a second. They didn't charge anyone else with insurrection. No one's been convicted of an insurrection. Why? Because there was no insurrection. So what a clownish charge to submit to DOJ for Donald Trump. How can you aid and abet something that didn't happen, that no one's been charged with? It would be like uh, charging someone with, you know, helping out in a, in a murder, and then not charging the person who killed the person with murder. It makes zero legal sense. It's completely illogical. It just shows that the, the committee was this, place where there were no legal standards, it was a wild, wild west, and they could just throw out terms and hope the, the media clapped along and convinced people of things that actually legally were not true whatsoever or factual in any basis. And, and you know, while we're on this, let me just say, their top witnesses, you know, so-called uh, White House insiders, Cassie Hutchinson and uh, Sarah Matthews, yep. the two they, they trotted out as with all these insu- insinuations and hearsay. Those witnesses were completely discredited. If you look at Cassie Hutchinson, the Federalist ran a report of all the text messages that she had sent. And uh, presumably the January 6th committee had these too, but, you know, friends had sent these to the Federalist, where she was saying the exact opposite of what she told the committee in her interviews. And so their star witness has you know, completely been debunked. But no one outside conservative media knows this because, of course, the mainstream media won't report these things. And it's supposed to be uh, it's supposed to be a crime to falsely testify in front of Congress under oath. It's perjury, isn't it? It sure is, but it only applies if you're a conservative, honestly. I mean, with where the Department of Justice is at now, uh, rule of law is pretty much dead in this country at the highest levels. It's it's all political and uh, selective enforcement, especially for any crime that relates to anything, you know, touching on on Donald Trump or the the right. I mean, look at the BLM rioters who did far more damage than January 6th in every conceivable measure, whether it's uh, property damage, human life damage, they're all walking free. I mean, with Kamala Harris, you know, bail bail money in their pockets. Well, and about three dozen murders that were connected to BLM riots, two or three billion dollars in property damage, according to the insurance business. Let me ask you this, because Biden, uh, you know, he, he spoke about January 6th today and he said all the predictable things saying, well, these are election deniers and these people are dangerous. Did you find any irony in the fact that the people who the, the man who was suggested as the House Speaker by the Democrats was Hakeem Jeffries, one of the biggest election deniers that 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 lives in America right now? Yeah, of course, they're complete hypocrites on that point, but. You know, there are a lot of questions that are legitimately to be had about the 2020 election. I don't blame people who don't trust the outcome whatsoever. Uh, you I, know, don't. I frankly do not. Um, if you look at the Twitter files and the releases, it is obvious we had significant meddling for the top levels of the National Security and Intelligence Committee, our uh, community, uh, clear interference in a free and fair election. We're talking about an election that came down to probably 50,000 votes in a couple swing states that tipped it over the edge. And when you, you mesh that against mailing out, you know, uh, unsolicited mail-in ballots by the millions across the country. People have a right to be very upset and distrustful of what happened. I mean, this is the, you get distrust when you don't earn trust, and there's no trust to be earned in the way that election was conducted. And so Biden could say whatever he wants. Obviously, they've had more celebrations and memorials around Jan 6 than anything else. It's their favorite holiday. If only they put this much pageantry into, you know, celebrating Juneteenth, perhaps people would know what that federal holiday was.
I'm talking to Mike Howell, who's a senior advisor for executive branch relations at Heritage. And this is the part that bothers me, I think, the most, Mike, is that both Donald Trump and Kamala Harris and other prominent Democrats have gotten away with saying over and over again the deadly insurrection. As you pointed out, there was no insurrection. And other than Ashley Babbitt, no one died. And I know when people say, well, what about Officer Sicknick? I say, Sicknick died of a stroke the next day, and the D.C. medical examiner, doesn't work for exactly the most conservative government in America, came out and said he died of a stroke that had no connection whatsoever to January 6th. And yet these are prominent members of the Democrat Party who stand up and say people died on January 6th. It was a deadly insurrection. Both charges are true, aren't they? Are untrue, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. And if this Congress had, you know, any any sense of decency, they would apply their own standards to themselves. I mean, if you want to talk about perjury, why are we allowing these members of, of Congress to run around in congressional proceedings and elsewhere and flat out lie to the American people and something that's so easily been debunked over and over again? Furthermore, you really got to question the patriotisms of, of some people who push this kind of stuff. Why would you make up a such a you know terrible lie for such a political purpose around such a highly charged event? It shows that they're not truly concerned with, you know, what they're messaging us to be the damages of the event. They're in this for, you know, just sheer political and partisan uh, gain. And the, the problem is we don't live in a really a free and fair society when it comes to the massive media messaging outlets. A lot of people believe this lie, and they know they can get away with it unchecked. And so it's just it's a terrible situation we find ourselves, you know, in. And it's just so important that, you know, we can have these conversations on the radio show and that, you know, others keep, keep talking about this and are realistic about it. And frankly, that, you know, the incoming House Republicans, they need to go after this stuff hard. It's not just something we can no. point back to as like a historical aberration. No, nope. we need to really investigate all this. And, you know, Mike, I'm hoping that it, since it looks like Kevin McCarthy will end up as the speaker, but with concessions to conservatives, I hope they bear down hard and actually demand some answers. That's Mike Howell from Heritage. Mike, it's always a pleasure. Back in just a moment, we'll get to your calls. It's First Amendment Friday on the Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. Just to bring you up to date, it now appears that somewhere around 10 o'clock Eastern time, 7 o'clock on the West Coast, that you're going to see a final vote on Kevin McCarthy, and he's going to end up being the Speaker of the House. And I got this email from Retro who says, McCarthy, I think we're screwed. Well, perhaps we are. He is not my kind of conservative at all. But the conservatives who held his feet to the fire through 13 different votes 14 votes um it appears the 14 vote tonight he will get enough votes but he's had to make a whole bunch of assurances to conservatives and you say well what are those assurances really worth well let me tell you something one of the concessions he had to make it's called a motion to vacate mccarthy has offered to lower the threshold to bring up a move to force a vote ousting the house speaker down to just one member used to be a threshold of five members. They also lowered the threshold of half of the House GOP conference. So in other words, if McCarthy starts reneging on the promises he made, it will be much easier to remove him and replace him with somebody else. Now, in some ways, that puts him in the same boat that almost every American employee, including yours truly, is in. If you make your bosses or the people you answer to unhappy, they will get rid of you. And that's the way that works. To your calls now on a First Amendment Friday, let's go to Marty. Hey, Marty, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Hey, Lars, thanks for taking my call. Um, so earlier this week, you read an email from the wife of a retired police officer 
in regards to the Buffalo Bill safety who went into cardiac arrest. Yep. And, and she, she was decrying the fact that uh, cops don't make as much money and nobody cares about cops. She, and, she didn't focus on the money as much. She said, my husband doesn't make big money, or, or her husband used to when he was a cop. And she said, but nobody makes near this much fuss over somebody who is injured in the line of duty or killed in the line of duty or comes near to being right. killed as the Buffalo Bills player did. And I'm glad to see that he's right. recovering, but she was, she was just noticing that it seemed a bit hypocritical that well, someone, go ahead. Well, no, but I want to explain why it's not hypocritical. Okay. So what is the motto of police all across the country? Protect and serve. Protect and serve. Right. right? Not I, was in, uh, I was in special operations in the military. I was a pararescue man. Our Thank motto you. is these things we do so that others may live. Yep. That's, that's part of your job. This kid doesn't put on his uniform every day and think he's going to go out and die playing football for well, the entertainment of the masses. Well, but hold on, Marty. And that, is, it, is, 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 is violence, uh, controlled violence and somewhat orchestrated violence, but is violence a part of every single football game? Yes. And it okay. I mean, you know that when you go out there on the field, you're going to get tackled. You're going to tackle other people. Right. Uh, there's there's risk of, of there's great great risk. In fact, isn't that one of the ways that many football players and basketball and other players find themselves out of the game altogether? Is they suffer an injury that takes them out altogether. So you go into it knowing that that you violence. Know that, you know that's a risk, but that's yeah. not. It's not the risk that you signed up for. I understand. It's an ancillary to and we what you're doing. Yeah, and we don't. When we don't expect, we I mean, don't expect many, anybody. Go ahead. How many football players have died playing football in the history of the NFL? I think it's probably not very many. There's been several, several who've been paralyzed and whatnot. Understood. But cops die every day, and and God bless her husband and her, and I love cops, and. Uh, so it's it's nothing against them, but it's it's not. Uh, it's like to say, well, he makes so much money and he got hurt. And well, she wasn't. Because... I'm going to tell you something, Marty. I could go back and pull the email back up from earlier this week. But when I I, I read a lot of emails, whether I agree with them or not, I tended to. But, but but I don't just take emails and say, well, I agree with this person, so I'm going to read it on the air, and I disagree with this person. I I read emails that I disagree with every word. I didn't disagree with her because the comparisons are frequently made and members of the military are in the same boat. When you were in the military, if you had been really grievously injured or killed, God forbid, um, not near the amount of, of public uh, attention would have been paid to that, to an injury, no. as it turns out, to this football player in the middle of playing a game. No, no, but I mean, but I don't find that to be wrong because that's what I signed up for. I mean, I gave, I, I said that oath. These things I do so that others may live. It didn't okay. matter what it is. Well, right? and, and then no, I, understand, so, I understand. Do you think we should we should pay more attention to the people who serve America, both in blue uniforms oh, yeah. and, and in Not green yet. uniforms? I mean, it does, I mean, every time a cop is killed in the line of duty, it breaks my heart. Of course. Right. I mean, I think most people think that way. And, and God bless this gal and her husband, and her husband apparently is you know, still alive and thriving. And that's, yep. that's awesome. And thank him. I thank him for his service. I just, you know, I, I didn't like the comparison. And then I wanted to, to get the money thing really bothered me. So I wanted to 
Well, um, she mentioned she mentioned so, the money because look, there is a notable difference between the average paycheck of the average cop no, and the average sure. paycheck of even right. a even a low level so I wanted, NBA I wanted player to put this, or NFL. I wanted to put this back on you a little bit. So, okay. uh, who's the who's the greatest radio broadcaster of all time? Rush Limbaugh. Well, Paul, I, I, if greatest radio, I'd say Paul Harvey. Greatest talk show host, I'd say Rush Limbaugh. Okay, so Rush Limbaugh gave a interview to sixty Minutes, Mike Wallace. Yeah. And Mike Wallace asked him uh, about his $50 million a year salary. And yeah. what did Rush say in his inimitable style? He earned it. No, he said, you could argue that I'm underpaid. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think he was probably absolutely right about that. Great call, Marty. I appreciate a great naysayer. It's First Amendment Friday. I'm glad to be with you. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com, and you're listening to the Radio Northwest Network. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com.